Welcome to the Breckenridge Podcast. This is Ariana Jackson, and joining me today, I have Matt Bisconi. So Matt, thanks for being with us today. Good to be back, Ariana. So in light of the recent interest rate volatility, we thought it would be a good time to review our portfolio positioning. In this podcast, we'll touch on duration, yield curve positioning, drivers of interest rates, asset allocation, and sector allocation for both the tax-exempt and taxable strategies. So Matt, let's start with our duration targets on the tax-exempt side. Where are we versus the indices that our intermediate strategy is benched to? So most of the intermediate-term tax-exempt portfolios are benched to either the Barclays 1- to 10-year blend or the Barclays 5-year indice. As of month end, the Barclays 5 has an option-adjusted duration of around 3.85 years, while the 1- to 10-year blend is slightly longer, just less than a 4 to 3.98. Our current target on the intermediate-term portfolios is about 4.15 years. So it's a little bit longer than the indices, but really only about 5% longer. So you could argue whether it's neutral to slightly long. We'd say it's just long the indices at the moment. Okay. And is there any particular reason? The first reason is those tax-exempt indices have gotten much shorter over the past year as interest rates have fallen. Both those indices have a number of bonds that are priced to shorter call dates. If interest rates have fallen, they price to the shorter call, and the duration has gotten much shorter. We tend not to chase the index too much in terms of its duration, uh, so we've kept our target a little bit longer. The second is the valuation that we see. Right now, tax-exempt municipals in the 10-year area of the curve are very attractive when measured versus government bonds. And if you use the AAA 10-year bond as a reference point, that ratio is between 100% to 104% over the past three months. That 104% ratio representing the cheapest level that we've seen in the past year. And in terms of yield pickup, if you move from a five-year bond to a 10-year bond right now, you're picking up just over 80 basis points of incremental yield. And that's right about its average for the last three months. So we're a little bit longer because we see a little bit better valuations in that 10-year area of the curve. Got it. So while we like the 10-year area of the curve, there's also a need to offset the longer duration of those bonds. What's the positioning like across the rest of the yield curve? So we like to look at our portfolios across three different duration buckets. We have the short, intermediate, and long. The short bucket has bonds with option-adjusted durations of between zero to three years. The middle bucket has bonds with option-adjusted durations of four to six. And the longer bucket, those with six to 11-year option-adjusted durations. So what we like to do is sort of reflect our curve view by increasing or decreasing the weightings of those different buckets. Right now, we have a weighting of just about 40% to the short bucket, 30% in the middle, and 30% in the long bucket. At Breckenridge, we don't like to make large duration bets one way or the other. So what we want to do is balance that out and look to where we see better relative values on the curve. So as I mentioned, we like that longer part of the curve, so we've got a 30% weighting there. Mm -hmm. But in order to offset that longer duration, we have a higher amount in that shorter bucket. Sure. So obviously the biggest driver of returns on both the tax-exempt and taxable side strategies is the direction of interest rates. What could drive Treasury rates higher or lower? And just start off with higher. Sure. So the bearish case for Treasury is the strength of the U.S. economy over the past year and the potential for the Fed to begin raising interest rates at some point this year. Employment growth has been very strong. And while GDP growth has been solid but not quite spectacular, mm-hmm. we've got an improving economy. Right. So the bond bears would say that this is not an environment that warrants a 0% Fed funds rate. Stronger growth and the Fed entering a tightening cycle could lead to higher Treasury rates and a steeper curve that would warrant being somewhat shorter on the interest rate curve. Right. And what's the bullish scenario for bonds? So despite the improvement that we've seen in the labor market, we've seen very little evidence of a pickup in wages, and that hasn't had to lead to any of a pickup in underlying inflation. Both core PCE and CPI have running well below the Fed's target of 2% for an extended period of time now. 
And away from the U.S., there's been very slow economic growth and close to outright deflation in several European countries. Mm -hmm. Those factors have combined to push many European sovereign yields to extremely low levels. That makes U.S. rates look more attractive, and you combine that with a stronger dollar, and it keeps adding money to the U.S. side of the equation. So there are reasons that rates could stay lower. Definitely. So what factors are unique to municipals that impact yield levels? The muni market is still very much driven by supply-demand factors. Um, If you look at last year, Throughout the first half of the year, we had very low levels of new issue supply, and people were chasing munis. So that was really driving down ratios and making munis more expensive. So far this year, we've had an extremely heavy new issue calendar, which is unusual for the first couple of years. We've seen almost $60 billion worth of supply the first two months of the year. And oftentimes, when you get a heavier new issue calendar, that can lead to higher yields on munis, both from an absolute level and also more attractive valuations. And that's the case that we saw during the month of February. On the demand side, while there's been strong support for mutual funds so far this year, there's been just over $7 billion worth of inflows so far. That could change if interest rates begin to back up and we start to see fund flows turn negative. That sort of sets up a negative feedback loop where you see rates rise, you see outflows from mutual funds, people start selling, it sort of reinforces itself. So still a very retail-driven market, and those supply-demand dynamics can often impact rate levels pretty substantially. So shifting our attention to sectors, on the tax-exempt side, what sectors do we like and dislike? And you can start off with the positives. Sure. So overall, our outlook for municipal credit still remains positive, and we continue to overweight local GOs that are generally voter-approved bonds for schools and other projects that enjoy strong community support. In addition to essential service revenue bonds like water and sewer bonds, the improving economy has led to increased revenues that have supported sales tax bonds and other tax-backed bonds. We've also added selectively to highly rated hospitals and select university credits as well. What about the flip side? Are there any sectors we don't particularly like? Yeah, appropriation-backed debt is an area that we've been allocating to less than normal, and we're being more selective than usual with the ones that we do continue to buy. There have been a couple recent examples of where an issuer has had the ability to pay back their debt, but they lack the willingness to do so due to the non-essential nature uh, of the project. And so while muni credit has been improving for several years, appropriation-backed debt that isn't viewed as essential may be more vulnerable the next time we go through an economic downturn. Right. So let's switch gears and discuss our intermediate taxable strategy. These portfolios are usually benched to the GovCredit Intermediate Index. Where does Breckenridge stand versus that index? So we're currently neutral versus that index. If you look at the GovCredit Intermediate, it was about a 382 right at the end of February. Our portfolios are not far away from that number. And while we believe that interest rates will rise gradually over time, as we mentioned before, there are a number of factors that may keep rates lower for a longer period of time. That makes it difficult to get very defensive with regard to duration, hence our neutral stance. Right. So what are the weightings for the duration ranges on the taxable side? So the biggest difference between the two indices is that the GovCredit Intermediate is much shorter than we talked about the intermediate on the tax-exempt intermediate index. And so that shorter duration target means different strategy positioning. Mm -hmm. So the shorter bucket on the taxable side has a weighting of about 48% to that short bucket. The middle has 30 and the long only has 22. So the biggest difference being that reduced piece on the long end Mm -hmm. being moved to the front end in that short bucket. And within that shorter bucket, we're overweight the one-year bond and we hold less in two- to three-year bonds versus the index as we believe that this part of the curve will be hit a little bit harder if and when the Fed starts to hike rates. Right. And what's the asset mix on the taxable side? Our current targets are 40% corporate bonds, 35% in taxable muni, and 25% in government bonds. We've reduced the corporate target by 10% over the past year by adding 5% to taxable muni and 5% to government bonds. 
we continue to use treasuries in the portfolios mainly to help manage the duration and for liquidity purposes. So you mentioned a reduction in corporates. What was the impetus behind that? So we decided to reduce the overweight to corporates at two different times during the year. First was when valuations on investment-grade corporate spreads were at their tightest level since the financial crisis. And the second reason is that while we're still constructive on corporate credit overall, we believe that the corporate credit cycle is moving into its later stages with event risks and leveraging activity on the rise. Uh, that led us to a little more caution. Now, what sectors do we like and dislike on the corporate side? We continue to like U.S. banks. They've done a very good job rebuilding their capital and their liquidity post-financial crisis, and their asset quality is at the strongest level it's been in a number of years. We also favor consumer cyclical sectors, which should benefit from the sharp fall in oil prices as consumer demand picks up. And lastly, we like high-quality utilities based on their regulated capital structure and essential service nature. And are there any sectors we're wary of? Yeah, we're somewhat more cautious on energy due to the sharp decline in oil prices we've seen over the last several months. That's going to pressure their credit metrics moving forward. And we're also wary of some credits in the food and beverage sector, mostly due to potential event risk. Since the sector is facing weak revenue growth and some margin pressure, that typically leads to consolidation and usually shareholder actions that are less bondholder friendly. Got it. Thank you, Matt. We hope that you in the field have found this informative, and we look forward to you joining us again next week.